Welcome to Humans of LinkedIn, where every story is worth hearing. I am your host, John Welch, and let's get to the episode. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Humans of LinkedIn. With me today is Steve D. Sims. Uh, I got connected with Steve because he was on Jason Cutter's podcast. Um, I think it's this, the Authentic Persuasion Show, and I thought it looked like a cool show. I thought it was a cool episode and started looking to some of Steve's stuff and was like, wow, I got to have this guy on my show. So I sent Steve a message and he said, let's do it. So here we are. <laughs> That's to be, isn't it? <laughs> exactly. Steve, you want to you explain a little bit about yourself? Oh, hell no. Um, I'm a former bricklayer from East London that just happens to work with everyone from Elon Musk, Sir Elton John and the Pope. Um, Dude. There you go, in a nutshell. <laughs> Dude, it's crazy, man. Like, I, I've got a bunch of questions I wanted to ask you, but uh, but I'm super excited to have you on the show. So are you, do you, you live in, in the UK right now? No, I'm here in Los Angeles, California. Oh, nice. Okay, nice. Yeah, and you just had a book that just came out, or was that more, was that recent, or was that a little farther Back. Yeah, funny enough, it was uh, it was just under three years ago. The book came out, and uh, the the funny story about it is when I got the chance to write the book. When you know, typical thing when your network's good. I was in the right kind of party, and someone approached me and said, "Hey, you should write a book because I've got up to some, you know, pretty insane shit." And uh, they said, "You should write a book on all the rich and powerful people you deal with." And I thought, "No, I like living." And if I started naming some of the names of people I work with. I'm dead before my next old fashion. So <laughs> then they said, well, hang on a minute. How about writing a book, you know, showing how a, a bricklayer from London turned into the world's most outrageous concierge and now teaches this shit. And I was like, well, yeah. No. But I thought no one's going to A, buy it and B, believe it. Um, right. So we didn't even have a website. That's the truth. When we released this book, I got paid very, very well to do the book. We didn't even put a website together because we thought, no one's going to buy it. Let's not stress. You know, I've, I've written a book now. Hey, puff me chest. I got paid. And the bloody thing took off. Um, it's been translated into uh, Mandarin Chinese, Vietnamese, Thai, um, Polish. It's being translated at the moment into Russian. It's gone all over the planet, and it's just morphed into a beast and, a, and an animal with its own legs. So I'm kind of stunned of where it's taken me. That's amazing, oh, man. I suppose I should say it's called blue fishing, the art of making things happen. Yeah, because um, I, I started looking into it, and from what I was I, – I never look at, like, what date videos were made, but it seemed like some of the content that was coming out around the book seemed more recent, so I wasn't sure, like, when it had happened. And because I'm a terrible podcast host, I uh, I didn't research that. <laughs> anyway, well, no, so uh, – And that's probably, that's probably a good line, that the fact that you've just said that is is a good indicator that if it works – don't fuck with it. You know, people right. just, people are constantly, and this is a stupid thing, humanity, every entrepreneur out there, you spend more time trying to spend money on the blue pill that's going to solve the problem than using the same energy on analyzing the problem to start with. People like to, to, to pay away that pain and look for a cheap, a hack, a trick, you know, rather than just focusing on the damn thing and getting it done. So anything that's in here not only worked in 1994 when I started the company, it worked in 2005 and is working today in a pandemic, which is the bottom line of it is focus on your relationships. If anything you do is a transaction, you're fucked. Amazon's just about to take your business. Right. Focus on relationships being solution-based, stop selling, start solving, and all of that stuff is going to get more intense, more focused, and we're going to demand more of it 
over the next few years than than when the book came out. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. It's it's funny. I, I started my career in frontline sales, and uh, within about a year of it, I was looking around going, like, does anybody actually think this stuff is working? Because, like, all the people, all the boomers are telling me it does. They clearly have no idea. But, like, even the guys who are coming up are sitting there going, yeah, this is what's working. And I'm like, well, I tried it all, and it didn't work. So I don't know what you're doing. <laughs> you're either lying to me or or you're just, you know, none of this is real. But it was just very weird because there's this huge disconnect between, like, what's actually working in the market and all the stuff that people are telling you who are writing books and all this stuff, what they're telling you that's just totally disconnected from each other. But uh, I mean, except for guys like you, right? There's a few folks who write books where it's like, well, this guy's actually handing you a manual. And if you, you know, had the eyes to see, you could do something with this. My business partner and I just, uh, we just, that's <laughs> when you jumped on the podcast thing, we were finishing a, on the podcast link, we were finishing a, a branding conversation of exactly that conversation, which is, you know, how do we tie what we do to, you know, Maslow's or, you know, what do you call them? The hierarchy of needs, right? Like, how do we tie what we do to like the basic human needs, right? And, and reach into their lives a little bit. Cause at this point we're, we build websites and it's like, yeah, so does everyone and their mother. Um, so, you know, if that's how we're trying to present ourselves, we're never going to go anywhere. So, uh, so Steve, what's like, uh, I mean, first of all, I want to ask you about, uh, about the Andrea Pacelli story. So like that one really <laughs> stuck out to me on your website. So I just want to understand a little bit, like how on earth do you end up in, I don't even know how to say it, the love, I don't know how to say that word, but <laughs> how do you end up there with six people in Andrea Bocelli? Well, the easy answer is I asked. Um, the bottom line of it is so many people, they're too intelligent for their own good and no one's ever going to accuse me of that. If I <laughs> want something, I'm going to go for it. And the amount of times that, I, I'll give you a quick story. I was in a pub once. Uh, yeah, that may sound surprising for anyone that knows me, but because um, <laughs> I'm in a pub quite often. Having but, an old-fashioned. Yeah, damn right. I went into a bar. Now, this was back when I was like 17 years old. And it was the, 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 you know, we were in England. So our drinking age, I think, was the age of six. Um, so we <laughs> drank from a very early age. And I remember going into a bar with these boys of mine. And it was the time when you would actually put your hands in your pocket and know how much money you got in your pocket. And that's the amount of beers you could have. We didn't have credit cards. We didn't have money. Um, but you'd basically get two beers and then all pulled together to maybe get a third and then split it between you. It was that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And we walked into a room and there was a guy in this bar that he owned a gas station and a convenience store, what they called supermarkets in, in England. Um, yeah, like a grocery store. Now, this guy was like the Richard Branson of our area. You know, he always had the hot girls. He always had the nice car. Now, we're not talking about Ferraris. We're talking about just an okay car, you know, but for us, he was it. He was what everyone wanted to be. He was the big boy. And we went in there, and it had been the first time I'd ever seen him. And two of my boys were with me, and I'm like, oh, that's so-and-so. Now, he had a name as being the most successful businessman in the area. So what I did, the second they pointed at him, I walked over, and I went, hey, how you doing? My name's Steve Sims. You don't know me, but I just wanted to chat with you. And he's like, oh, all right, and then, you know, how are you? He said, well, I was just going to get a beer. So you want a beer? That, to me, was like winning the lottery. I had enabled myself to get a beer in my hand without paying for it. I was already <laughs> I was already up. But the real lesson came that when he came back and gave me my beer and we started talking, I thought to myself, here I am talking with the most successful man 
to me, I thought, in the world, right. but definitely within our area. I turned around to say something to one of my boys and noticed that they were at the other end of the bar leaning up against the wall. And at that moment, I realized that there was a difference. There was right. a difference in me to a difference from them. They would look and point from across the bar. Me, I took a step forward. And I'm not kidding you. My relationship with those boys changed. In fact, I don't think it was ever the same, and it broke up very shortly after that. As entrepreneurs, we shouldn't be frightened of going something. We should be frightened of not. Now, I got a very powerful client of mine, and he literally just said to me, I'm taking someone down to Florence. I need to impress them. I need you to give me an Italian meal that's a great dining experience. Now, a lot of people say, and you've got, to, you've got to make a note of this world, go for the impossible. Fuck that. Don't go for the impossible. Do not. Because the word impossible, as much as you think your mindset is good, the second you call something impossible, you put a line in the sand and built a 20-foot wall. Yeah. You know, the word impossible is go for a full stop. Go for that brick wall. Go for nowhere further. The second you call it impossible – You've accepted that's as far as you go. So the, the terminology of, ah, oh, we have to go for the impossible. I've always hated that. What I do, I go for stupid. <laughs> I, I literally do. I want the reaction of what I'm going for to be the reaction that you just gave me there. I want to go for something that is so stupid, you're going to laugh at me until I pull it off and you start applauding. Right, right. And so... When I thought, okay, dining experience in Italy, what do I do? Well, I could go on the Italian version of, round, of uh, Open Table, book a restaurant, phone up the restaurant, get the uh, waiter to come, uh, go and get the chef, bring him out, and get him to meet the chef. Eh, yeah, I could do that, but I won't. Why? Because you know you can do it. You right. know it's achievable. You know it's so possible to do that. What's not? What hasn't been done before? What is stupid? So what I did was I looked at Florence and I looked at all of, and bear in mind, you should be aware, at the time I was working in Rome and I live in Los Angeles and my client knew I was in Rome and that's why he asked me to do the Florence. He gave me two days to put this meal together. So this was all done in literally 48 hours. So what I did was I looked at everything in Florence and I went, if I took a picture of this and sent it to someone, would they know it's Florence? Now, if I was going to give you a meal in Paris and I had the, uh, the Eiffel Tower in the back, no one would have any doubt where that meal was, would they? Right, no. If I gave you one in New York and in the background, it's got a statue, the same thing. I wanted to make sure the pictures you got were iconic that no one could dispute where it's going to be. The problem with Florence is it's got so much renaissance, so much artwork, so many great museums, so many great cathedrals that you would, you would know it's in Europe, but you wouldn't know whereabouts. Because some of those cathedrals, there's magnificent cathedrals in Poland, in Krakow, in Amsterdam, in Paris. You wouldn't be able to identify and go, oh, I recognize that artwork. That's Florence. I right. needed to make it. I needed to give you the Statue of Liberty of Florence. Now, that's a very easy metaphor because Michelangelo built the, uh, well, not built, but sculpted the work David. 
and Michelangelo's David is housed in Florence. Now, you may not know it's in Florence, but Michelangelo's David is the most iconic statue in the planet above the Statue of Liberty, okay? So it's housed in the museum, the Academia Galleria. So what have I got to do? Well, that's easy. All I've got to do is get a museum to kick out all the, all the uh, um, paid attendees at 3 o'clock in the afternoon and give me the entire museum until 2 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> and then all I've got to do is get a dining table set up at the feet of Michelangelo's David, get a top chef to come in and cook him a meal while they're looking at the most fantastic statue in the world. <laughs> and so, I mean, that's, that's pretty easy. That doesn't sound very difficult at all. No, but it's stupid, isn't it? <laughs> it, 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 is, it is ridiculous. And here's the beautiful thing. If I failed and I got maybe a wing of the museum to open up, and maybe not Michelangelo's David, but around some beautiful artwork, it's still a fantastic location, isn't it? Right, right. See, the beautiful thing, when you actually go for the incredible, the insane, the stupid, and you fail, you've still achieved 4,000% more than if you had just gone for what was achievable. So the good thing is, I didn't care if I got it. I knew just by reaching for it, I was going to get somewhere pretty cool. The daft thing is, the more you go for stuff, you'd be surprised how many times you get it. So when I contacted some very powerful people in Italy and said, look, do you know anyone in this uh, this place called the Academia that houses Michelangelo's David? Quite a few of them were uh, um, donor, the, you know, big donations into the museum. And they said, yeah, we're pretty connected with the museum. And I said, what about this idea? And I gave them this ridiculously stupid idea. And they went, that is stupid. Let's see if we can get them to do it. <laughs> and that's the other thing. When you go for something that's stupid, people want to play. You know, they like the idea. So they actually came back to me. We got the museum and then uh, we got the chef. And then what happened was I thought to myself, that's good. Now we got all of this in one day. And I thought to myself, that is pretty cool. The entrepreneurs, we have a problem. The entrepreneurs, we go, okay, we got everything. What can we do more? What right. can we do this just a little bit? Now, of course, I had 24 hours. So I'm sitting there. I made a call to someone I knew in, Italy, in uh, Los Angeles in the music industry, quite big up. Said, who do you know in Italy? And they went, well, you know, Andrea Bocelli, the maestro, the most famous Italian singer since uh, right. Pavarotti. And I went, <laughs> Well, here's an idea. Wouldn't it be great if he sang at my dinner party while our clients are eating their pasta? That's like Elton John just pulling a piano up and singing at your barbecue. Right. You know? Again, totally stupid. But they said, oh, that'd be fun. Let's see if we can do it. And guess <laughs> what? We got Andrea Bocelli. I actually, the clients started eating. We had a string quartet and a pianist to give them some music, which would have been ample, which would have been. Well above what they they expected, which already was. The fact that they got the museum, they could not believe what I had done. But I came out to them just as they were getting into their main course, and I said, with your permission, I have found a local entertainer that would just like to sing for you a little bit while you're eating your pasta. Is that okay? And the clients looked at me, and they were like, "Uh, yes, Steve, you know, yeah, bring him in if he wants. You know, that'd be lovely, okay? And then I walk in with Andrea Bocelli, (laughs) and literally – 
And look, so think of it. For a start, you're in a museum. And when they say you can hear a pin drop, you think of a museum when no one's in it. It's deadly quiet. And all echoey. All echoey. He walks in. One of the girls literally drops her knife. She is so stunned. (laughs) And so all you could hear for the first couple of seconds was like clang, clang, clang. And her quickly squeaking the chair to pick up her knife as the maestro himself (laughs) wanders in. So it was pretty amazing. It was fun. He's probably thinking, I can't see, but I'm used to that reaction. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Dude, that's such that's such a fascinating story. I mean, there's so many things you said in there that I think are huge. Um, you know, I'm curious because like I love how you tell stories. Something that I'm obsessed with. It's why I do this podcast, which, you know, I don't even know if anybody listens to it and I don't really care. But um, what like how have you found having stories like this has helped you along the way? Like do these stories, like over time, I'm guessing, right? It probably started with one story that was crazy, right? But like, does having these stories help you as you move forward and you create more of them? Yeah. So you mentioned it earlier. We're in a world of furus, you know, the fake gurus. And we're in a world where every everyone stood up there talking about celebrity clients and credibility when they have neither. And so when the book came out and suddenly people started talking to me, and I was like, well, this was the daft thing. It was, it was a revelation to me because here was the stupid thing. I'm probably one of the dumbest people you will meet. <laughs> I ride around on motorcycles. I don't have a car. For anyone that, that doesn't know me, I'm not the guy you want to bump into at 11 o'clock at night in a dark alley. You know, I'm, I'm 250 <laughs> pound of bald, ugly with tattoos and an eyebrow piercing. You know, I do stuff that I want to do and walk away from anyone that bores me. I'm that kind of character. So when I got offered to do the book, literally I did the book just to annoy my kids because I thought it would be funny if I could show my dad, uh, my kids that their dad, even though he can't write an email, can write a book, you know? <laughs> and so I did it just to wind them up. What I expected was for people to go, well, we always do that way. And, oh, well, that's nothing new. And, oh, my God, you know, he's he's so full of himself, but everyone does that. I was stunned to realize that people didn't. Right. And so the revelation came at me that I did things differently. Now, understand this loud and clear. It wasn't difficult. In fact, the hammer may not be the sharpest tool in the shed, but it sure shit hurts when you get hit with it. Right. So I thought to myself, you don't have to be – perfect to be impactful and in fact some of the greatest things out there their imperfection is what makes them but look at picasso you know if you if you go black if you people don't understand this if you go back to the old works of picasso during some of his earlier renaissance they were like phenomenal photography he was such a brilliant artist And he walked away from accuracy to put two eyeballs on the left side of a woman's face and a nose that was sharp enough to cut you. Right. He went into that work away from what was relatable and started making people question what was going on. And like now, if you remember one of the the most famous movies, The Blair Witch Project, do you remember that? Yeah, yeah. It was shot on little kind of like handy cams that shook. And the reason the film was so good was because for the first time ever, 
It wasn't perfect. It was relatable to how everyone shot a home movie. Right. And you can now, with your iPhones, because they've got all this stabilization effect, you can actually turn that off to make it look jittery, to make it look more relatable. <laughs> so I, I started noticing all of these different things, and people were contacting me going, oh, my God, you do that, and how do you do And it took off. So I suddenly realized that there's all these gurus out there talking about, oh, you can have celebrity clients but they don't actually have any celebrity clients. Right. And I was sitting there going, well, hang on a minute. I can text Elton John. You know, I can text the Vatican. I can, I can communicate with Elon Musk. I can, talk, I can communicate with so many rich and powerful people that you've never even heard of. They just own things like countries. <laughs> and these are my clients. And I thought to myself, you're paying attention to the wrong shit. Right. So it was a revelation to me that the world was pretty much, and everyone knows this now, pretty much full of bullshit and pretty pictures on Instagram, that it allowed me to go out there and go, hey, if you want to work with wealthy people, if you want to build credibility, if you want to become brandable as the key solution to whatever the person's problem is, then the first thing you should do is speak to someone that has actually done it. <laughs> right. And as, as what a revelation, but right. that's what, that's what kind of took me off. And like all entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs, we're a pissed off bunch of people. You know, right. we sit there and we do something. We go, why did I do that like that? You know, why don't they, why don't they invent a system that's easier? Why don't they, why are we doing that? Why are we focusing on putting oil on that squeaky wheel why don't we redesign a wheel? Why don't we make it a hovercraft so there's no freaking wheels to ever repair? Right. You know, as entrepreneurs, we start off, before we creatively disrupt something, we start off by being pissed off about it. And it's aggravated oysters to make pearls, as Joe Polish said. So that's how it all started. That's fascinating. That's so fascinating. What do you think is the difference? Because I mean, at this point, you know, it's clear, obviously, that you're kind of a different person, like you've mentioned a couple of times. But what what makes you different? Like, what do you think the difference is? Because like, for me, a lot of the things that you say, or talk about just sound to me like you've got giant. uh, What is it? Is it bollocks? Is that what you guys say? (laughs) (laughs) You know, you got it. You got it. Basically, brass stones, as they say. And, uh, you know, like, I I'm working on it. But like, I would have a huge, you know, self image problem with some of these things you're mentioning, right? Like I would just not believe in myself, but like, aside from that, like what, what makes you different? What makes you just see this and go, let's try it. Uh, exactly that. See, um, I had, I live in Los Angeles. I think I've mentioned that already. And I had a house party, uh, I think maybe eight years ago. And at this party, I was very, very fortunate because, um, I invited a bunch of friends and suddenly saw the table I had. And it was at the time when Marvel movies were doing really well in the in the movie house. And two of the people at my party were two of the lead Marvel characters. Okay, oh they were actors. And I also had a bunch of business icons at my table. And I remember when I was sitting at my dining table and I looked around, oh, we had a singer. Um, and I looked around my uh, table Actually, just calling her a singer is probably an understatement. You'd have recognized her because she was on the Grammy. She happened to win one of them. Um, <laughs> and I suddenly looked around at my table, and I'm like, fucking hell, this is amazing. You know, look, at, look at who I can call friends and who come to my house 
for dinner. And I've, right. I've always been very grateful of, of what I where I am, who I can call, what I do. You know, I'm literally like a little five-year-old kid. I can't believe I'm in the, in the toy shop on my own. Um, and so I'm sitting there, and one of the Marvel characters, and I, I, I won't mention the names, one of the actors turns around and says, hey, 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 you know, the movie comes out in a couple of months' time. Let's play a dinner game. And so we all sat there kind of thinking, you know, what is And I'm opposite him. He said, if you were a superhero, what would be your superpower? And he said, let's start at the beginning of the table, which was good because I was right opposite him. And this way it gave me about eight people before it got to me. So they're all sitting there going, oh, I don't know, uh, speed. I would like to, to, to be able to run really, really fast. You know, we'd all had some whiskeys in us. So, you know, some of the answers were funny. But I was still feeling like the little kid that shouldn't have been at the table. Even though it was my house, my party, and they had come for me, I still didn't feel that kind of I belong kind of thing. Right. And here was the funny thing. I thought to myself, shit, by the time it gets to me, I've got to have a really good answer. I want to be able to cure illness just by looking at it. I want to be <laughs> able to make people wealthy by whistling the national anthem. I don't know. I was trying to think of something <laughs> that that made me sound sensible and sensitive and empathetic and all that right, shit, right, you know? Right, right. I wanted to sound smart in front of these these people, which I was actually now starting to feel a bit nervous with. So it gets all the way around the table. Now, my wife, little context, my wife has been with me since we were 16 and 17. So oh, she's awesome. been through all of the shit to get to where we are now, all of it. She's always been there with me. So anyway, it gets to me, and he looks at me, and he says, Steve, what's your superpower? So, of course, you pretend as though you're thinking about it, and you go, oh, I, oh, what would it be? And as I say, it was one of those stupid ones that I'd already pre-thought up. And my wife jumps in, and she goes, oh, I know the answer. I know the answer. So I look at Claire. Now, Claire is five foot five. We've been together forever. She's about 118 pounds when she's soaking wet. So <laughs> she's tiny and petite, my English beauty, and she terrifies the shit out of me on a good day. Okay? <laughs> As all women should, your partner should terrify and arouse you at exactly the same moment. And that's what Claire's always done for me. So, so Claire says, oh, I know what it is. I know what it is. And I went, oh. Go on in, Claire. Tell them what it is. And I'm sitting there hoping she's going to say something better than what I could come up with. Right, right, And right. she says, I know what his superpower is. It's ignorance. <laughs> That's and, actually very insightful. And I was, I was like, oh, shit. And I looked at her, and I'm not feeling good about that answer. You know, my answers weren't brilliant, but she's just called me ignorant in front of everybody. And I got a few of the others going to look at me going, whoop, Steve's getting divorced. And I'm looking at her and she could sense that her answer had kind of created a bit of a murmur. And she was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. She said, hang on a minute. You've known Steve for many years. How many times has he done something with Elton John, with the Pope, you know, so-and-so. And she gives his, she said, how many times has he ever done something? And you've sat there and gone, how the bloody hell did he do that? She said, the reason he's done it 
is because he goes in there with full speed, power, and passion and is ignorant to the fact it could fail. He's ignorant to the fact that it could go wrong. He's ignorant to the fact he could get an answer he doesn't want. He's ignorant to the fact he could get a no. He just goes. Ignorance is what carries him forward, what everyone else is overthinking, and paralyzes them. Yeah, and they're all that. kind of like, ah, yeah. Now, I'm sitting there going, all right, I'm not getting divorced. That's not a bad answer. <laughs> but I suddenly realized that's what it was. How many people do you know overthink what they're going to do for the next step? I do. There you go. I remember Jay Abraham, a friend of mine, says to me, uh, Steve, you have a greater, greater I can than an IQ. Now, I wanted to start a podcast one day. So I woke up one morning and went, I want to do a podcast. I did my first podcast two o'clock that afternoon. Okay. We can do it by so easily by jumping on any kind of program, you know, even by just doing it over a phone. It's very easy to do a podcast. Now, was it shit? Absolutely. It was <laughs> diabolically crap. As every look, let's be serious, boy. Your first podcast, how bad was it? Oh, yeah, it was it was pretty terrible. But <laughs> you can't get good unless you get going. Right. And also what you've got to realize is you don't have to publish the thing. Right. You know, so I did, we, I spoke to, I started doing these podcasts and then I spoke to a friend of mine, uh, Jordan Harbinger, who had a very good podcast going oh, on, yeah. the Art Charm at the time. And I said to him, so how should I do this? He said, well, you got to do, you got to do like about 18 podcasts and then you upload like your first 10 so that there's like a bit of a library. Don't, don't upload just one. When you launch, upload like 10 or eight. Um, and he said, but you know, when you podcast, when you've done them all, go back through them and any that are shit, get rid of. So we did 18 podcasts and we binned 16. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was so bad. And that was the beauty. And then it took me another few months to build up some more. But the beauty is just because you do something, it doesn't define you. It refines you. And so oh, when that's... you go... That's cool. I, I really like that, Steve. Yeah. When you go to a sales meeting and you botch up your presentation, sure, you want to throw a pity party and you want to cry in your soup, knock yourself out, do that. But then sit down and go, well, hang on a minute. Where did I go wrong? Right. Where did I lose? And where did I fuck up? And if you manage to get into a room to do a sales pitch, then you were enough of interest to have actually got in that room. So you didn't fail there. It must have been somewhere within the, uh, the, the presentation that you lost them. Analyze it so you don't trip over your same curb twice. Let your mistakes refine you. And me, I have got turned down so many times. I have got told to go fuck myself so many times. But I'm going to ask you a question. Have you ever hit your hand with a hammer or a heavy object or trapped it in a door or trapped it in a window? Have you ever done any of that? Oh, yeah. Okay. Does it hurt? Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Can you remember the pain? Nope. No. The head, our mind, we know it hurts, but we can't actually vividly remember what the pain is. Because our brain teaches us 
We need to forget what the sensation feels like. Mentally, we know, hey, don't stick your hand in a boiling water because it'll burn your fingers off. But we don't vividly know what it feels like to have the skin melt off your hand. Because right. if our head could retain pain, we'd never walk out the front door again. Women would never have a second child. Right. <laughs> right. I remember I got my shoulder. I got a tattoo on my shoulder because I wanted to look hard. And I got this tattoo. This tattoo. My God, bitch, did that hurt. Right. And I thought to myself, well, screw that. I am never having a tattoo done again. Six months later, I had the other arm done. <laughs> and I'm having it done, and I'm thinking to myself, why couldn't I remember the last time? Because bloody hell, that I'm never having one done again. Right, right. That's what happened. Now, that use that. When you get turned away, when you lose a contract, when you lose money, yes, you'll remember that it's not nice, but you won't remember the sensation. So use it to propel you forward. Gain the education from it to refine you and educate you on what not to do. Yeah, I really like that. <clears throat> you know, I've got a really interesting, or I've got what I think is an interesting question, Steve, because I try to make these uh, conversations uh, a little different than the, uh, most of the other shows that you probably go on. But I'm just curious, like, I randomly reach out to you on LinkedIn. You clearly are a person who rubs shoulders with folks who I will most likely never see in my entire life. Um, but I'm just curious, like, what makes you see a random message from me asking if I, if you want to come on my random podcast that I don't even know if anybody listens to? What makes you say yes to that? Uh, usually it's tone. Uh, and I've got to admit, um, I've got a bit of a reputation because I, I've got a three-minute zone. And if the questions are boring, if the tone of voice is boring, I'm gone in three minutes. I literally did a podcast this morning. She said, are you okay for an hour? I said, before you ask me that question, you want to make sure we're okay for three minutes. Because if your questions <laughs> are shit, I'm gone. <laughs> and, uh, so, and we ended up doing an hour and 20 minutes. So she was golden. Um, but the point is, I get a lot of people request me to be on podcasts. And it's usually the way I'm asked. So when I get the, hey, my name is Ralph, and I, I launched the uh, number one podcast, and I've got four million viewers, and my, my shit doesn't stink, and I'm gorgeous, and I'm wonderful, and it would be good for you to be on my show. Well, that's a bit dull. So if I got someone going, hey, I heard your conversation, you made me giggle, Yo, would you be okay for shooting the shit? I'll, I'll usually turn around and go, yeah, all right, you know, let's make it good for three minutes, and if we go through, we're on. Um, so it's usually the tone. I can't recall the tone, but if we're having this podcast, the tone must have been one that made me, made me go, yeah, all right, let's do it. <laughs> no, I think I just told you, uh, I'm actually looking at it right now just to remember, but I usually do the second thing you said, right? I said something to the effect of, I've been listening to a bunch of your stuff and I'm thinking, man, I'd love to have this guy on my show. You've got no reason to come on, but you know, would you be interested? And you're like, yeah, let's go. <laughs> I think, and it was probably that element that said I had no reason to be on there. Okay. I think with, with, with listening to the way that you just reread that, I think it was probably that that caught me. You see, I told you about my dinner table where people came to my house to be with me that night, you know? And I was like a little kid going, you have no reason to be in my house. Right. And I think that's what keeps the magic alive. I, my wife says that I'm a 55-year-old, five-year-old. I still <laughs> giggle like crazy when I'm in a room and I'm like, I can't believe I'm here. Right. You know? Right. I was in the museum and uh, it was closed down for me 
And I had people running around just getting me espressos every time. I had so many espressos that I was pumped for like a <laughs> month. But it was just it was just such a giggle having these people running around getting me espressos. I couldn't stop myself. And it's like the kid that gets locked in the uh, in the candy store. They eat themselves so stupid to the point that they puke. Right. I have no control of certain stuff. And as long as I'm having fun, I'm going with it. You know, yeah, when yeah. you get people take the fun, and you, you know what they're called, they're the fun zappers. You know, yeah. when they take the fun out of something, they're the people you need to stop dealing with. Yeah, so you just hit on something that's actually interesting to me. Because <clears throat> you, you, I hear you, you hear, sorry, you hear so much, especially with like those gurus you're talking about or furus, whatever, furus, whatever you want to call them, um, about imposter syndrome, right? And I've always thought to myself, I mean, I don't know if that ever goes away, right? Like, I don't think, like, I think we all kind of tend, in fact, I'd say it's almost healthy to just kind of see yourself as not necessarily like always deserving of everything that's going on in your life. I mean, is that kind of the way you still see it now? Is that something you think people should hold on to? Or should you try to crush that, you know, a little bit of, I don't know if I actually belong here feeling? Wow. Um, that's a great question. I have imposter syndrome and doubt many times. Uh, I've been in rooms um, quite simply with billionaires, people that rule countries, royalty, you know, rock icons, and I've just gone, how the hell am I, am I here? And I've had more to, in common with the valet boys than I do with like the superstar that's up there. Um, you can allow that feeling to have you walk in one direction. You can go, hey, I should be over there. I should stand over by the side and, and not, not be here. Or you should go, hang on a minute. I need to grow. I need to expand. And you never grow and expand in a comfortable environment. So being in a room that makes you uncomfortable being in a room that creates doubt in yourself, being in an audience of people that go, oh, my God, these people are power plays. These people rule the world. That's where you should be. You see, I race motorcycles. I'm 55 years old, 54, 55. I don't know. I can't remember now. But I'm somewhere around that. I race motorcycles. I used to do MMA. I speak on stages all over the world. And every single one of those experiences – scares the shit out of me before I get going. Mm -hmm. But I remember a statement that really summarized how I live my life from a friend of mine, Joe Polish. He said to me, the definition of hell is to have met the man or to meet the man you could have been. And I thought to myself, that's going to be me. Yeah. I'm going to be that man because I'm, I took all those chances. Hey, some of them failed. Some of them I got slapped in my face. But when I die, this is my only demand of myself. When I die and my life flashes before my eyes, I want it to be so jam-packed there's an intermission for popcorn. <laughs> That's how I want to steer my life. Well, maybe another way of looking at that is like, if hell is meeting the man you could have been in the sense that you realize all the things you missed out on, you could also say, you know, a life well lived is meeting the man you could have been, meaning you actually become that man one day while you're still alive, right? Have to, have to. 
I'm, you know, so I, I guess I'd, I'd synthesize what you just said, and maybe this isn't right, but it sounds like what you're saying with the imposter syndrome concept is like, if you're not experiencing that anymore, it means you're not growing, right? So make yourself feel that way, right? Yeah, you've got to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. And if you don't have that imposter syndrome in that room, you are clearly in the wrong room. Yeah, I think that's probably the best because I just it's just something you hear a lot. And at this point, I you mentioned it early in the show, and it's like at this point, I'm convinced that if someone's like big on a platform like LinkedIn or whatever, you, whatever you pick your pick your platform, or whatever, and they're saying stuff and they're supposed to be making a lot of money and all this stuff, that probably means they're not actually doing anything at all. Um, <laughs> right. Like that's that's kind of the place I'm at. I mean, it's like you're a good example. I've never heard of you before. I randomly see you on Jason Cutter's podcast and he's a lot like me. Like, I don't even know what I'm doing. We just like have conversations and I think he's a cool guy. Um, well, he's actually a client, but um, it's like you're not doing any of the stuff these other people are doing. Like, I've never heard of your book. You're not self-promoting all the time. I don't see you doing a bunch of selfie videos talking about, you know, whatever inspiration and stuff like that. And it just strikes me as odd that it's like there are people who are succeeding and there's people that are acting like they're succeeding. And for some reason, everybody's hung up on the people acting like it. And no one even really pays attention to the folks who are actually doing stuff that you would care to be involved in or learn about. Well, that's education, isn't it? You know, like uh, Grant Cardone says, you don't have to be the best. You have to be the loudest. I read a really cool book by a guy that I actually did a podcast with, uh, Jamie Mustard. Um, he did it on The Iconist. And he talks about, you know, Lady Gaga and Madonna are both revered as musicians, but they're not the best. Right. You know, Lady Gaga's out there going, rain on me, tsunami. For Christ's sake, that would make Shakespeare roll over and go, <laughs> what? what the hell are those lyrics? But, you know, she's an icon in music. And if you look at uh, Andy Warhol, you know, he did a painting and would screen print the thing in different colors, you know? As an artist, ain't that kind of lazy? You know, right. he would do a he would do a can of Campbell's soup, and it now sends, sells for ten billion dollars. The bottom line of it is, he's an icon of his era. You've got to focus on being an icon. Now, a lot of these people today, they're wearing a swimsuit, they look good, and they think that they're life coaches. You know, right. you've got a couple of pricks leaning up against a car they don't own telling you about how you could buy a course to make a million dollars. And you buy the course and it says, lean up against a car you don't own and tell people how to sell a course for a million dollars. A lot of people are trying <laughs> to get education from the wrong, wrong avenues today. And they're buying right. into the slippery shit. I, I decided years ago that I should spend no effort None at all. And once you meet me, you know I've achieved this in being anyone other than me. And yeah. there's a lot of people out there that say, oh, I need a million followers. Well, until a million followers are going to pay my mortgage and bar tab, right. I just want one that pays. I want engagement. I've always said that everyone's in until it's time to pay. Right. Yeah, that's huge. That kind of leads me to another question here that I just wrote down to make sure I didn't forget it. You know, Donald Miller, who, from a marketing perspective, he's a pretty well-known guy. I think he does Chick-fil-A's marketing, and I, I love their stuff. But he uh, he says people don't buy the best. They buy what they can understand. And as you're talking, I'm sitting there thinking, you know, do you think people don't understand you? Like, right? It's like, well, so these gurus, maybe they're saying things people can understand. They don't work, but people understand it, right? And maybe they look at you, and they're like, I don't get that, right? I don't even know how to do what he's talking about. Like, is that, does that ring ring a bell? 
Not with me. Jesus, no. Um, I try to keep stuff simple and stupid. If it's complicated or you've got the instructions that are bigger than a postage stamp, I don't do it. Yeah, maybe what I mean, maybe what I mean, I don't mean that you don't say it simply because your your messaging is very simple. Maybe I, what I mean is in terms of their own experience, right? Like, look, like some of these stories you're sharing of the actual work you've put in to get into these situations, right? And I even look at that and would think, I don't actually know how to apply that to my life. Like, it's very simple. But for me, it's like, I almost feel like I have work to do. I would have work to do interiorly before I could even f- get the guts to do that kind of thing, right? And like, so it's easier perhaps to chase after the thing someone's holding out to you that you go, okay, I can do that thing versus someone who's telling you the truth and it's going to work. But you're like, I don't know. I don't think I can do that. Yeah. But I, and the, the downside that comes down to is you are, you are making a decision based on your eyes and you're, it's called aspirational marketing. You see, there's two kinds of marketing out there in the planet. There's solution-based marketing and there's aspirational. There's no other. Okay, there's a reason that Cartier comes in a beautiful little box and then in a beautiful little bag and that bag has a bow on it. And they put up the stores are never on a shitty side street. They're always on the main main you know, luxury fair. That's all aspiration. When I get that, I've made it. You right. know, that's aspirational marketing. Solution based marketing is, hey, you got a headache at two o'clock in the morning. Take that tablet. Right. It ain't going to make you thinner. It ain't going to make you richer but it's going to get rid of your headache. Solution-based marketing no needs no pretty website. When was the last time you looked up a website for a headache tablet? Right. You just right. Don't, I don't even know if they have one. I do not know if Aspirin has a bloody website. Yeah. Because no one goes there and subscribes to that newsletter. They just care <laughs> that at 2 o'clock in the morning, they can grab that, that tablet and they'll be okay. So when you're solution-based, you haven't got to worry about things too much. The downside is you're overthinking, and too many people do. And then they look around, and that's when they get caught up in the shiny object. That's when they get caught up in the, the Tay Lopez's of this world leaning up. I'm not going to bitch on the guy. The guy did very well to produce a marketing campaign that quite simply pissed you off. Everyone came to Tay Lopez because he aggravated and pissed them off. Right. And now, regardless of the, well, did he hire the cars in the beginning? Did he lease the mansion to do that? Now he's bought the mansion. Right. You know? So, you know, fake it till you make it. Guy did well. Yeah, I like Tay Lopez, by the way. So don't think I'm trying to bitch on him. But there's a lot of people out there that have taken that style of marketing and gone, right, okay, I've got to do what attracts your eyeballs, and you will make a decision on what I look like and you won't put your brain into gear. And those are the people that get inside and go, oh, shit. Tay's right. got some brilliant – Tay Lopez has got some exceptional stuff on how to market. But the downside with your comment is you're thinking things before actioning them. And too many people go, oh, I don't know if I can do that. Oh, I really right. – that sounds – I don't know. You know, maybe he can do it. Maybe Steve can do it, but I can't. And you overthink. And that's always going to be an entrepreneur's problem, or it's always going to be a entrepreneur's problem right. where they overthink. An entrepreneur leaps out of the frying pan into the volcano. That's what entrepreneurs do. They jump and then think, "Shit, can I make a can I make a parachute on my way down?" Right. 
And that's what you got to do. Sometimes you just got to stand up and go, right, I'm stepping forward. Do I know where I'm going? Nope, but I'm going. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. So uh, I'll, I think we could probably wrap this up. I uh, I really appreciate your time, Steve. If there was one thing, like let's, I like to ask this question at the end, like if there was one piece of advice or one, like maybe it's a mantra of yours, something that like throughout your life has kind of been synthesized down to where like you kind of bring things back to this, like what would be one thing you would say to someone as like a pillar of success or something that's really been important to you in your life? So when I was about 13, 14, my dad was walking through a building site with me because uh, I used to work on the building sites in the summer. I didn't have a choice. It's just what we did. And he would smoke like nuts. He was like a walking chimney. And as we're walking next to each other, no conversation, he takes his cigarette out of his mouth. And bear in mind, he'd always have one in the other hand as well, ready to light up. Um, he put his hand on my shoulder as we're walking and he went, son, no one ever drowned by falling in the water. No one. They drown by staying there. And then he puts his cigarette back in his mouth and carries on walking. I stopped and I was like, what the fuck was that? <laughs> and I thought he'd just been consumed by a fortune cookie. I had no idea what was going on or why that even came out of his mouth. Um, but years later, I've realized that we fall in water a lot, constantly. It's our decision as to whether or not we stay there and drown or whether or not we get up and learn from it. So he's, he wasn't the sharpest tool in the shed, my dad, but there's been a couple of things he said that I have lived my life with. I will not allow falling in the water to make me drown. I will yeah. get out of it at my decision. Yeah, I love that. Well, Steve, thanks again for coming on the show. I really loved it. Um, maybe uh, just real quick, let people know, like if, they, if they're if they listening to this and going, hey, I want to I get more connected with this guy or, or listen to some of his stuff. What are the best ways for people to consume the things you do, get your book, that kind of thing? Well, look, uh, I'll give you the freebie. Uh, I have a free Facebook group called An Entrepreneur's Vantage with Steve Sims. Um, throw loads of content in there because I like, I like talking with people that are creative disruptors. Um, but if you really want to have more conversations with me, simsdistillery.com is my inner circle where I do a lot of lives, a lot of videos, a lot of my personal training. But you can go to stevedsims.com. Sims has got one M, stevedsims.com. Find out about the book and my videos, my training, my events. You know, you can find out all the stuff there, but I'm easier to get than COVID. So, you know, you'll find me anywhere with Steve <laughs> D. Sims. <laughs> I love that. All right. Thanks for coming on, Steve. Guys, we'll catch you on the next episode. Thanks for listening. Cheers, man. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed that, you can find more episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Anchor.fm. You can also find us on the web at SkyMouseStudios.com, where we build one-page websites that help you get noticed. And we look forward to seeing you on the next episode. 